sing, mister. And if you don't sing, I'll have you thrown in the guardhouse for flagrant disobedience of orders. Remember, you ordered it. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to, at least for now, 1934, because this is going to wrap up the dozen nominees for this year. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we are talking about the movie Flirtation Walk. A film which unfortunately does exist. Yeah, but it still feels like a troll. Yeah, it definitely does. Starring Dick Powell and Ruby Keeler, who were both in 42nd Street and who played not very believable love interests in that movie. Yeah, and this movie is weirdly structurally similar to 42nd Street in that it doesn't decide to become a musical until the last like 20 minutes of the movie, except for some sort of extremely brief moments where you're like, why are they singing? <laughs> Except at least 42nd Street, they were building up to performing a musical. That was the whole story. Oh, yes. This is inferior to 42nd Street in literally every way imaginable. You know, David, we've watched a lot of movies where we have asked, why does this movie exist? This is the first movie where I definitely feel that, but also... Why was this movie nominated for Best Picture? I feel like it's even stranger that this was nominated for Best Picture when Here Comes the Navy was already nominated. Right. This is why you have a limited number of nominees, is so you don't nominate two different fucking bad jingoistic romantic comedies, question mark? <laughs> Like, in the same year, just because, fuck it, we've got room, let's just keep going. What other movies happen? You don't need to have so many slots that you literally have to pad out. And even though Death Takes a Holiday was not amazing, I would put it in this place over Flirtation Walk if we had to pad stuff out. Yeah, which I think is saying how much we both disliked this movie more than almost anything. Oh, God. But, like, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, looking at this list of 12 films, we can get this down to five super easy, and probably we will at the end of the episode. Yes. But let's talk about Flirtation Walk specifically first. Yes, against my better judgment, let's talk about this film. <laughs> so, it starts out with us having this... Oh, God, this movie. Uh, it starts out with us meeting Dick Powell's character, whose name is Richard Palmer Grant Dorsey Jr. This fucking movie. Who's an enlisted man in the army. He's currently stationed in Hawaii. He has a rivalry slash hatred of his commanding officer that just resolves itself into the two <laughs> having a bromance for no apparent reason 20 minutes into the film. Oh, God. But his commanding officer is a sergeant named Scrapper Thornhill. Yep. Which I swear to God for the whole movie, I'm like, so that's his cool nickname. What's his actual goddamn name? And apparently it's Scrapper Thornhill. And a big shot general, General Fitz, visits the base with his daughter, Ruby Keeler, whose name is Kit. And Kit 
instantly and inexplicably kind of thinks that Dick Powell's character is cute and kind of charming, given that their meat cute is him dropping all of her clothes on the ground like a friggin' <laughs> idiot. To be fair, I don't think he enlisted in order to be somebody as bellboy. That's, oh, that is fair. And that is essentially what he is for her until she decides because she doesn't want to go to the big dance party they're throwing on the army base so that she can get engaged to Lieutenant Biddle, who's just the Baxteriest Baxter that ever fucking Baxtered. <laughs> Decides to just run off into the night, really drive off into the night with uh, Richard Palmer Grant Dorsey Jr. as her driver. The two of them engage in some charming cultural tourism by coming across a luau ever so charmingly. Watch the whole luau. And then everyone in the luau is like Richard Palmer Grant Dorsey Jr. You've got to sing for us. You're the songbird of the tropics. God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> he does a big goddamn musical number where he's fine, but like not good enough that the native peoples of Hawaii would be like, we got to get this guy for our luau. And most of the shots in this scene are not of Dick Powell singing, but are of Ruby Keeler making googly eyes at him. Yeah. For so long. I mean, it. This movie is really embarrassing. <laughs> she at least, like... She sells it. This is maybe the only moment in the movie where there is at least even a stated reason for her to be this into him. Like, she has to be into him for the entire movie. This song is the only justification provided at literally any point. So she's gotta give it 110%. She really does. I mean, like... She's got those silent movie googly eyes down. Anyway, Lieutenant Biddle the Baxter finds them and gets super angry at Richard Palmer Grant Dorsey Jr. And <laughs> is gonna court-martial him for macking on his girl. And he's like, screw this then, I'm gonna desert the army on an island. <laughs> In the middle of the Pacific. Which also, by the way, would result in court martial. So how are you going to get out of it? But whatever. Right. Scrapper, who suddenly and it like out of nowhere goes, listen, I've always liked you. I've punched you 10 minutes ago. And all I ever say is how much you suck. But I've always liked you, Dorsey. <laughs> Tries to explain to him what a dumb idea deserting the army on an army base in Hawaii in 1934 is. And then just locks him into a room and gets Kit to go and convince him not to desert. And her plan, which, Susan, did this make a lick of fucking sense to you? Because it's inexplicable to me, is rather than directly stating, don't do this thing, she goes, oh, I never loved you. You never meant anything to me. So you don't need to desert the army for me. Bye. No, it did not make a lick of fucking sense to me at all. Because, like, first of all. How does that keep the other guy from court-martialing him? Doesn't. She has to completely separately from that write a note going, please don't court-martial my new boyfriend, and then cross out my new boyfriend. <laughs> it also is like making all of these assumptions about why he's deserting the army that aren't even true, and that she has no reason to think would be true. Like, I... 
Uh, it's really just a thing she does so that he can be pissed at her when she comes back in the third act. Yeah. And yeah. he goes, fine, I won't desert the army then. I'll join West Point. That'll show you. Yes. Which is equally inexplicable. Anyway, her note keeps him from getting court-martialed. The Biddle Lieutenant Baxter says, if you were an officer and a gentleman, you'd understand, which in context also makes no goddamn sense. But is a thing that he had to say so that Dorsey would join West Point. So he does. And then we have a whole new movie. Yes. Because then we get to our 30-minute movie about what it's like being a young cadet at West Point. Where there are no complications and nothing of interest happens. Dick just moves his way up the four year or whatever it is. It's four, right? Yeah. Year curriculum at West Point slowly but surely. And like, there's all of these like, here's what it's like at West Point. And you're like, I don't, why would I care? Like I. (laughs) And all of those scenes are intercut by Scrapper reading letters about how he's doing a good job. And it's basically like if you took a montage That should be five minutes long and stretched it into 45 minutes. And I want to stress again that at the start of this film, Dorsey and Scrapper hate each other. Yes. To the point where, like, Dorsey is constantly disobeying direct orders to the point where Scrapper repeatedly punches him. (laughs) And then... Out of nowhere, Scrapper's like, you're the best man I've ever served with. You're better than me. You're going to be the greatest officer in the history of the United States Army. They have this moment where after they're like parting ways or when they're parting ways, the movie really wants me to have this like hugely sentimental response to their separation as if like they're basically brothers who may never see one another again. And I'm like, you have not invested any time in developing this relationship at all. Fuck you for even trying to make me feel this. Uh, God, the other things about that scene. Yes. That is also the scene where Scrapper does this line that irritates me so much. Because earlier they walk this very, like, I think pretty good line of, like, enlisted men versus officers in the army. Like, both of them have their place. And, like, when you're a grunt, that has its place and is important in the army. And then Scrapper, just for no reason, when he's saying goodbye to Dorsey, is like, You know what, though? Enlisted men are fucking garbage. Officers are the only people who are worth a goddamn in the army. And I'm like, what? Why? (laughs) Why would you? <laughs> uh, then, also, Scrapper is on his way to... It's Bangkok? Where is he going? I thought it was the Philippines. Well, wherever it is, it's somewhere where they can do some real caricatures of, like, Asian women and sex work. Yeah. While you're cutting back and forth between Dorsey at West Point and Scrapper reading letters from him, there's this hilarious comic side part where a character who they don't even bother to... Sleepy, right? That's the dude's name. Has a gal in Hawaii and immediately abandons her for, like, prostitutes in the Philippines or wherever they are. Then the prostitutes steal his watch. And you're like, why? 
this movie was garbage enough and kind of racist enough with the luau scene. And they were like, no, we really got to go all in on the racism. We got to hit all the bases for why you'd hate this film. Right. We also have to make sure that we have some stereotypes of sex workers and also a stereotype that all Asian women are latently sex workers. Yeah. Anyway, back to the slightly less offensive stuff at West Point. (laughs) Everybody loves Dorsey. He's in charge of his theater company? Out of nowhere, by the way. At no point does he, like, work his way up or they talk about this theater company. It's literally an hour into this hour and 37 minute movie. Someone suddenly, like, We've got to run the 100th night theatrical performance. And you know who we should cast? Your ex-girlfriend who you hate, (laughs) who's now suddenly on the base because her dad is now the headmaster or whatever, I guess they call the headmaster at West Point. I think he's just the headmaster, yeah. No, superintendent. That's what it is. Suddenly now, we're in a third movie. Ugh. Yes, we are. And this movie is where the garbage sexism really kicks into high gear for just an absolutely dog shit musical. <laughs> it is terrible. And it's also inexplicable, as almost everything in this film is, because supposedly in fiction, this is written by Dorsey. Yes. But his own writing also supposedly He hates Kit right now because she never loved him and let him on or something. He's a real friggin' asshole about it, and everyone at least calls him out on that. That's true. It is the one time that anybody ever is like, hey, maybe this is shitty. (sighs) But he then decides to rewrite his entire musical to be a sexist screed about how terrible and flighty And just interested in nothing but whoever is in front of her kit is. And make kit play it. But then also there are all of these musical numbers in the musical that have a long romance between him and kit. And it's like you could... That results in them being married. Yeah. That may actually be the most genius breakup revenge. I guess. It's like, it's one of those things. If you're a total asshole, but like, yeah. It's also like one of those things where it's like, just address it for a second. Because there's no point where he's like, I mean, I guess we still have to do the big song. and Like, where everybody else in the theater company or something is like, well, you can't cut Flirtation Walk. That's the best number in the show. Or anything. It's just like, I hate you. I'm writing this entire play as an elaborate form of revenge. Anyway, here's the three ultra-romantic musical numbers we'll be doing together. I've written all of them myself. There's a part where we kiss toward the end. I'm not going to cut that either. Uh, but I just thought I'd let you know. Anyway, they fall back in love because of this charming idea that this great human being has. (laughs) The musical's premise, by the way, is what if women were in charge of the army? They wouldn't care about anything but getting married to all the boys. Right? Right, fellas? And Kit is the general in charge of the army. And then after the wedding, there's something where, like, the president says that you have to stop, or the Pentagon says you have to stop being the general of the army because a woman's place is in the home. Which, 
you know, is not interrogated in any way. Right, because it's also like, well, then why did they in the first act of this musical in the third act of a bad movie put her in charge in the first place? Because they come out and read a whole scroll about how Congress has decided women need to be in charge of the military. And then she does stuff for two days. And then they're like, actually, women should be in the kitchen. And it's like, well, then why would they? What's none of this makes any sense, even as an excuse for. But no, it's 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 garbage. Dorsey also has there be a Baxter within the musical within the musical movie who has the exact same name as the Baxter outside of the musical. I'm sure that went over like a lead balloon. Right. All the musical numbers, by the way, we're not really going into more depth on because they're all garbage. (laughs) Anyway, then we get back to the romance plot for the last like 10 minutes of this movie. Dorsey decides to stay out after Lights Out to go ask Kit Because she sends him a wedding invitation. To her wedding to Biddle. Right, because he's been a garbage, awful human being to her who constantly says, I don't like you anymore. She's decided to go ahead and marry Biddle. And then he has to run out after Lights Out because she's getting married the next day, which also what? (laughs) He runs out after Lights Out to go, hey, why did you send me this wedding invitation? So she could go... Well, you said you hated me eight million times. And he has to go, but actually, secretly, you're in love with me, right? And she goes, I mean, like, not secretly. I told you a bunch. And then he gets caught by Biddle. And Biddle explains through the half logic of this terrible (laughs) film that Dorsey has to resign to avoid bringing shame on Kit because question mark, question mark, question mark, profit. And so Dorsey does resign, sends his resignation letter. Then, after everyone is like, oh, God, it's so terrible. Dorsey's gone. He really, it's like the last day. He was going to graduate today. But there's no taking back a resignation letter. There's just nothing to be done. Which, by the way, Biddle, who is the superintendent's secretary, basically, is getting married on the same day as graduation yeah what the fuck but then we have the most what the fuck thing ever which is then after everyone is established he's doomed he sent in his resignation letter that's all there is to it biddle comes in and goes we didn't accept your resignation you know what kit told me she loved you and i bet that's right shakes his hand tells him good luck And then just walks out of the movie. (sighs) This guy got fucking ditched on his wedding day and is like, yeah, congratulations, bro. Not just congratulations, but you've done a great job and you're the real honorable one here. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, then the movie ends not with their wedding, but with his graduation from West Point. The real important thing, because it brings a tear to Scrapper's eye. Oh, Scrapper's there, by the way, which is about as much interest as the movie has in that. It's really terrible. It's so awful. It doesn't have blackface is literally the only thing I can say for it. Not being the worst movie we've ever seen. Uh, I, hmm. I still think One Night of Love is worse. But yeah, no, this movie was fucking awful. And I like, I don't even know what to say about it because I feel like doing a plot recap should absolutely provide 
all of the necessary criticism for this movie. <laughs> yeah. But I want to criticize the Academy for choosing to nominate this at all because the parallels to Here Comes the Navy, which was a garbage movie, are so clear. And yet Here Comes the Navy, again, garbage movie, did at least manage to develop the bromance between the two characters who had one, did manage to make Biff rather than Biddle, who was the Baxter, blah, 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 like, Biff was not thrilled about the fact that What's-His-Face was marrying his sister, even at the end. It wasn't like, sure, no problem. And Flirtation Walk wants us to believe that Biddle is thrilled about this dude stealing his fiance on his wedding day? <laughs> yeah. It's so like, it's- I mean, don't get me wrong, like, women can't be stolen, they're human beings, they make their own choices. However, it is a totally human reaction to be like, fuck that guy. (laughs) One, a totally human reaction. And two, this entire movie, he has not seemed to have any interest in Kit's agency at any point. She could not be more clearly just barely interested in him. And he is just like, well, we're getting married anyway for the whole film. And then apparently on her say so for two seconds, he just is like, you know what? She's right. I'm not marrying her today. You are, bud. And just like walks up. It doesn't make any sense. It's like if you took the poor plotting of a musical, like a mediocre musical where there has to be a musical number. But then there was only a musical number for 20 minutes of the film. But then that poor plotting extended out to the whole film anyway. Nobody's character actions at any point make any sense. They just are constantly doing stuff to get you to the next scene. No one is a consistent character. It's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. There's no relationships that are actually developed. The musical numbers are absolutely forgettable. I have nothing positive to say about this movie except for, yeah, it didn't do blackface. Yeah, it's kind of the worst of both worlds between, like, one of those Maurice Chevalier musicals that were so sexist that we hated, and Here Comes the Navy, except that's doing it a very slight disservice in that if it was really the worst of both worlds, it would have blackface. But, like, it is jingoistic in the same way, it glorifies the military in this extremely boring way. Like, honestly, like, it's not even that I'm like, no one should want to join the army from a movie. It's just like, no one would want to join the army from this movie. (laughs) It doesn't say anything. It's just like, everyone just takes it for granted that it, uh... Yeah. Yeah. I don't even have the energy to, like, go into all the reasons I hate this movie. There's not even costumes to save it. No. The costumes that they wear at West Point, they look like they're, they look like nutcrackers. By the way, for that, like, 40-minute stretch of the movie, there is exactly one joke. Oh, God. And it's that Dick Powell keeps having to pull his chin in more and more. And looks super unattractive doing that, but is doing it constantly for solidly a a third of this film. Oh, wait, no, there's one other joke that is completely... It's not even a joke because it's not funny. Oh, the definition of leather thing? Yes, where the general keeps making people give him the definition of leather and then gives them notes on how they can more effectively deliver the definition of leather. And, And... 
why? I mean, it's clearly a hazing ritual, but the thing about it that's so weird, that's so weird about the West Point section is I, I actually went to, not not went to as like a cadet, but my school took us to West Point when we were up in Washington, D.C. when I was like 12. Oh. Because we were right next to a military base in Georgia and honestly joining the military industrial complex as like part of Lockheed was what everybody's parents did. And so it was kind of what you were supposed to do. And like when you went to West Point, they give you this tour about like why you should go to West Point and why it's so great. And they talk about this thing that happens at the end of every year where, like, they put this flag at the top of a flagpole and all of the freshmen have to, like, rush across this field and all of the upperclassmen are gathered around and have greased the flagpole and, like, are just beating the shit out of you. And it was a relatively small part of the overall West Point tour, but there was this weird sense of like, and then you get this weird kinship because you know all of them went through that too. I was like, I would feel no kinship from that at all. I would, I would hate everyone on that field for the rest of my life. (laughs) The thing that strikes me about this movie is that, like I say, that was one very small part of the tour. And they also talk about like the history of service and serving your country and you do all this stuff and it's very cutting edge. And like, if you care about math and blah, 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 blah. This movie is like if the pitch for West Point was just that flagpole thing. Right. Because the only thing this seems to say about why West Point would be enjoyable or why you would want to do it is after you go through the hell of freshman year hazing, you get to fuck over all the new cadets. That's the only thing that seems at all enjoyable about West Point in this movie. And that's a terrible pitch. It's very bad. And like, who are the people that you end up recruiting in that way? Like, hey, I hope that you really love abusing your authority because have we got the place for you. I mean, that is what this movie shows. It's also what Here Comes the Navy shows. It's essentially like, apparently in the 1930s, if you were in the military, abusing your authority for personal reasons was totally a legitimate and fine thing to do. And it's like, that's fucked up and terrible. Yeah. It's also just like, beyond just like, because I assume that's not true. I hope that, well, I don't assume that's not true at all. I would hope that isn't true and is just a thing that's happening in this movie. And let's give them the benefit of the doubt for some reason that it is. It's also just narratively boring as shit. There's no tension. Yeah. Oh, that guy's just going to treat you like shit because you did a thing. It's also like so much of tension in film is about relative power. And, like, who holds the upper hand in any given scene? And just, we're going to definitively answer that question. It's whoever has the higher rank. It sucks. This movie sucks. I think we should just rate it and move on with our lives and talk about who should have won for this year. Yeah, I, uh, two? Yeah, two. Two? I'll give it a two. Like, I don't even want to give this movie the dignity of, like, hemming over it and really thinking about it just to yep don't watch this movie good day sir (laughs) yeah don't watch this movie there's nothing in it for anyone hey everybody it's david we'd really like it if you subscribe to the podcast on itunes or your podcasting app of choice Uh, and then while you're there you can also like screen test of time and write us a review 
preferably a positive one with like five stars. What should you write in your review? Maybe you can thank Susan for sitting through all the lip-smacking sounds in State Fair, or congratulate me on the one time I didn't call a movie weird. I don't know, just write what's in your heart. But also, make sure your heart wants to give us five stars. And now, on to the more important part of this episode. Yeah, the 1934 general wrap-up. I've got the, like, specifically 1934 Wikipedia page open right now. It Happened One Night was our winner, and good, because it's such a clear winner, and it is in fact such a clear winner that it won Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and I think Best Cinematography? No. Best Screenplay. That's the fifth one, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that it was far and away the best movie in this year yeah it won literally every single category it was nominated for and should have no it didn't win there was one it did not win i thought it was only nominated for five and won all five one night of love somehow got a sixth nomination it was nominated i think for six nope only five you're right that's so weird one night of love was so bad it's a really bad movie yeah. uh, and i guess it got like best musical number or something as a sixth nominee i think it was yeah best music best sound recording scientific and technical award class three great woo and then it got nominated for best picture best actress best director and best editing won none of those and good it shouldn't have been nominated for anything because it's so obvious that it happened one night was the right choice good job academy i think we have to talk about the movie's that should have been nominated and the seven that should not have been this was a really it was a mess of a year there was so much bad in this year and very little good it's such a clear example of why well i don't even think 10 is a reasonable number but 12 is fucking absurd yeah I, yeah. So we haven't seen the White Parade, so we can't really say whether or not it was good, but obviously didn't stand the screen test of time because nobody felt like they needed to preserve it, so it's out. I would throw out the Barretts of Wimpole Street, despite the fact that it apparently came in second, because that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. What came in third, by the way? The House of Rothschild, which I would also throw uh, out. Also throw out, Yes. Cleopatra can stay, flirtation walk, gone. Gay divorcee can stay, but if it's it's on the bubble if we don't get this down to five. Yeah. Here comes the Navy, out. Yeah. House of Rothschild, out. Imitation of life. Can stay, I think. Yeah. It has a lot of issues, but it's of the other movies in this year. Yeah. It is definitely going to be head and shoulders above, say, One Night of Love, which was absolute garbage. Yeah. It's out. Thin Man Can Stay, Viva Villa, out. Absolutely. And heck, I think we even have room to just go like, White Parade, benefit of the doubt. <laughs> We've never even seen you, and we think there's a better chance you should be one of the five nominees than seven of these movies. No, I think I think we've got, I think we have five. It Happened One Night, Gay Divorcee, Imitation of Life, Gay Divorcee, and The Thin Man. That's five. All right, yeah. yeah. All of the other movies in this year were absolute trash. And uh, the fact that the Academy thought that the Barrett's of Wimple Street and the House of Rothschild, which were like 
Well, the House of Rothschild was horrifically problematic and was trying to do the, like, woke liberal thing of talking sentimentally about a marginalized people that it absolutely has no idea how to talk about and ends up inadvertently reinforcing stereotypes. But the Barretts of Wimple Street was just two hours of watching a woman be abused. I will say, I think Barretts of Wimple Street, of the movies we rightly threw out of Best Picture, is probably the winner of the losers. It's probably the best of those movies that shouldn't have been nominated. It's the best made. Yes. But it's also the most painful to watch. I. It's... For me. It's, yeah. Like, it was agonizing. It's a real rough go. I had... I had slightly more trouble with Here Comes the Navy, but, like, I would. So, yeah. I mean, like, I think the top three are It Happened One Night, and then... The Thin Man, Like I would say. Yeah, probably The Thin Man, and then I think there's a real argument for, like, Pick Your Poison with Cleopatra and Gay Divorcee. I'm gonna argue Cleopatra because it's a goddamn mess, but it is... Right. ...so entertaining because it's a mess. Right, that's kind of the thing, is like, it is not the best picture, it's it's the best picture singular, but it is not the best motion picture. When the picture starts being in motion, it is where the problems come in for Cleopatra. Yeah, anyone still from Cleopatra is going to be something that you should absolutely hire someone to paint. Yes. It might end up being like the cover of a pulp novel, but... But it'll be a great singular picture. Gay divorcee. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right though. The gay divorcee is still relatively entertaining. It's got entertaining moments in it. It doesn't drag. But is it problematic and hilarious and super extra, or just problematic and like reasonably entertaining? I mean, every single movie, even of the five we're keeping this year is deeply problematic in some way. Like, It Happened One Night is the clear winner in that it is only as problematic as romantic comedies are in the present in 2018. Right. But, like, Cleopatra's got some, like, obvious race issues. Imitation of Life obviously does. Yeah. The Gay Divorcee has a fucking stalker story. Where the stalker comes out on top. And the thin man has some light, like, extremely light, extremely easy to fix. Thin man, why did you do this to me? But, like, still very much there, domestic abuse stuff. I'm really happy to say goodbye to 1934. I am also absolutely terrified of 1935. Right, because it's, like, it's 12 again, and, like... It Happened One Night is like an all-timer, and The Thin Man is like a movie you, I I at least, hear about pretty regularly, even in the modern day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not so here. <laughs> Not so with 35, which is still 12 movies. Really the only one that I have definitely heard of that people still talk about is the winner, which is Mutiny on the Bounty. It is also not the first one that we're going to watch, which, like, maybe maybe that's good. I think 34 was particularly rough. The first movie was definitely the best one. And then everything after that was like, oh my god, there's still how many? Nine more movies to go? Yeah. But we're starting 1935 next week with The Lives of a Bengal Lancer. Yeah. Which... 
just looks like all kinds of problematic. We've also got another Broadway melody ahead of us. A remake of a movie from... Oh, it's, I guess it's a slightly different movie that still just sings the Broadway melody over and over again. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's got a bunch of other songs in it. Yeah, so that's good. The Lives of the Bingle Lancer. Oh, God, we're on an expedition to India next week. Yes. <sighs> During the days of the British Raj. <clears throat> oh, boy. It's just got problematic written all over it. So tune in next week, where we will undoubtedly suffer some more. Hooray. <laughs> and in the meantime, you know, like, go go watch it happen one night and feel better about 1934 i guess and until then this was a real waste of money for the united states military and how goodbye everybody Bye.